Welcome to Willard Church of the Nazarene. We're glad you're here. We can't wait to share the service with you.
life for mine Nailed to the cross You crucified All my sin and shame It was washed by your mercy You are the treasure I find My reason for living so
right, so today we are going to be in John chapter 2, if you turn to John chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. Shout out to my mom who turned 70 today. Happy birthday, mom. Yeah, man, that's amazing, awesome. But we are going to be uh, in John chapter 2, beginning a a seven-part sermon series. I don't know if we're going to preach all seven straight through or if we take a break in there a little bit, but um, we want to look at the seven signs seven miracles of Jesus that John shares in his gospel. Each week I want to look at one of those miracles. So in John chapter 2, Jesus is starting his ministry, just started. This is his first week. He's been baptized recently. He's been challenged. He's been tested in the desert for 40 days, and he comes through that without any problems, right? And uh, now begins his public ministry about three and a half years of his life would be devoted to this before he would be crucified. So John chapter 2, would you get in a posture if you want to stand in honor of God's word or if you want to just prepare your hearts for God's word, I want to read this to you. Beginning at verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does that have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This is the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, as I prayed earlier, help us to have soft hearts, open our eyes, open our ears to what you'd teach us. Lord, may your word be a lamp unto our feet. May it guide our pathway. Father, we praise you for it. We praise you that you you have given it to us. We praise you that it speaks into our lives 2,000 years later. And we honor it. In your name we pray. Amen. If you notice from your bulletin, you see that the title of this message is Signs, Seven Miracles of Jesus, Part 1, and we're specifically looking at purpose. Purpose. Proverbs 29, 18 tells us where there is no vision, what? The people perish. Vision is extremely important. What direction am I heading? What direction is the church heading? What is our purpose in all of that? There is nothing more energizing, right? Gratifying, satisfying, than putting your feet on the floor with a sense of purpose, with a sense of mission, with a sense of, man, you have some work to accomplish, something to work towards. 
Likewise, there is nothing better than laying your head down at night, right? Knowing that you are involved in that. Even if you're totally spent, even if you're totally tired, even if you're sore, if it's from your purpose, if it's from your calling, your mission, it always feels worth it. It feels good. Recognizing and living with purpose makes the lows easier to handle, makes the hard times easier to get through. That's how the disciples could praise God when they were thrown into jail, when they were beaten, when they were flogged, when they didn't have a a place to lay their heads. That's how they could get through it because they were living on purpose, with purpose. On the other side of that, though, if you do not have purpose, then it's the complete opposite, right? If you're just binge-watching Netflix during the week and you don't realize what your purpose is, then you're probably largely just living for the next weekend or the next vacation, that next time off. Man, I can't wait to just get through this week. I just got to make it to my next days off. Or you might be looking forward to retirement. Three years four months and 15 days or whatever that is till you retire and and I can finally retire and then life will be good right just waiting for that sometimes in life we get a little bit lost sometimes we we had a purpose and then that changed a little bit right we retire from that job sometimes our kids move out or sometimes the death of a spouse or a family member takes place and it changes everything so if you're in a season like that, a season where you're, where you're low on purpose, struggling to find purpose, who do you look to to find that? If you, if you listen to society, right, or what our culture says, then there is no God. There's no higher purpose. You're just here by chance. And really, there's no point to anything, if you think about it, because one day you're going to be dead. Everyone you care about is going to be dead. So what does really anything matter. Your destiny is oblivion. It's nothingness. You're not going to remember anything. You're not going to be around and nobody you care about is going to be around. But if you believe what the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 3.11, it says that God has set eternity in the human heart. Not just for believers, but for everyone. God has put that in our souls. There is a God-given awareness even if you don't know God, that there is something more to this life, that there is something after this life. And if you know Christ, you know what that more is, right? I'm concerned for myself. I'm concerned for for people in the church when we pour ourselves into things that don't eternally matter. I mean, really pour and make that the focus of our life. That's when we end up living for the weekends. That's when we end up living for retirement. Purpose. Purpose is an amazing gift from God. It's an amazing gift that God gives us. You can spend your life grasping for things, but if you miss your purpose, if you miss your calling on your life, then I think you're missing out on so much. But that's one of the amazing things about Christ coming to this earth, right? He came to this earth. He lived that example. He shows us what our lives should be like, right? And it's in seeing him and knowing him that we find our true purpose, our higher purpose. There's some things on earth as parents, we should be good parents and be about that. That's part of our purpose, right? But there's an eternal purpose too as well. 
that ties into everything that we do. It's work that eternally matters. The whole world is trying to find themselves. And we know that we find ourselves by denying ourselves, by losing ourselves, because that's when we fully discover who Christ is. And that's when we are truly alive, fully alive in Him. These signs give us a glimpse that we're going to be looking at over the next seven weeks or seven sermons, and and they give us a glimpse into who He is, and as we discover Him, we'll discover our purpose. We'll, We'll find ours. So try to be here each week to collect all seven. First thing I noticed from this passage is that Jesus was sending a message with using wine. When you look at wine in the Bible, it has two important applications. First, wine is medicine. It's used to heal people. Paul tells Timothy to drink a little bit of wine for his stomach. Notice Paul says a little bit, all right? We can get a little carried away with how much we we drink, but it is medicinal. It can help us out. If you remember the story of the Good Samaritan, right? Jesus tells us that the Samaritan pours oil and wine on the man's wounds for healing. So it's an agent of, of medicine. It's also, though, uh, used as an agent of celebration, right? It can bring joy. We see it here in this wedding. A wedding, a wedding obviously was a joyous occasion, right? It's also used and referenced in communion. That's how Jesus set it up in the Last Supper. Jesus spent his last meal drinking wine It commemorates what Christ did for us. It commemorates a a new covenant, right, with Jesus. Jesus was clearly sending the message that he is the one that can bring the wine. And his wine doesn't run out, right? The world can only provide temporary wine, temporary healing, temporary, temporary joy based on what's happening in our life. But Jesus provides the wine that doesn't run out, the best wine, right? The good wine. He provides the healing for our soul, he, what our soul longs for. We, we try and turn to the world or we try to turn to things in the world, but nothing in the world satisfies our soul's and the longing of our souls for very long. Not even religion, right, can satisfy us. Religion doesn't do it. It's empty. It's as empty as these purification pots, right? The, the rituals that come with religion. Notice the, the, the pots that Jesus used. They're empty and dry. And that's a sign of, of what religion can provide to us. They don't have any wine, or only a relationship with Jesus Christ brings that. Only a relationship, only the wine that he provides can make us whole, can free us from sin. It's a sign of that new covenant. We look to religion, we look to rituals. A lot of people in the world do that, but it cannot provide what a relationship with Jesus Christ can, what the grace of Jesus Christ can, right? Moses brought the law to us. And it couldn't help. All it did was show us that we were lacking, that we were in need of something else, grace and salvation. And that's only what Jesus can provide for us. It's the best thing that we can experience in life. 
That's the first. He was sending a message on what he was bringing, giving us a glimpse of what was to come in the new covenant. Changing water to wine was a sign of being able to change a sinner into a saint. And that's what's available to us. Second thing that we see, why was Jesus at this marriage? Did you pick that up in the passage? Why was he there? He was invited, right? So simple, but yet so profound. We see, though, that Jesus goes to where he's invited, where he's called at. He comes to where he's welcomed. Don't we, I don't know about you, but don't we at times look at someone and see what God is doing and how God is working in our lives and think, man, I just wish God was doing that in my own life. God was working like that, like he's doing that in that other person. You, you need to ask yourself when, when that happens, when you see that, am I inviting him into my life? Into my life? Am I really inviting him into that? Could it be as simple as that? I think it is. There's a ton of buildings in Gotham, right? But which building does Batman come to? It's the one with the light. It's the one with the light asking for help, calling for help. What is it to sit in the morning in silence before rushing off to work or into the busyness of the day and kneel in humility and just ask for God to come into your life and to be a part of the day you're about to have? God, I need you. And then just wait for him. Or, Lord, I have these feelings of anger and jealousy, right, in my life, and I'm tired of living with these things. Lord, would you just crucify my flesh? Would you just take these feelings away, this spirit of anger that seems to be plaguing my life, and then just wait for him to come in and be a part of that situation, right? What is it to say, Lord, I want to be a light at my work. I want to be a light with these kids that I'm involved in. I want to be a light with these people that I get to interact with right around me. I want to burn bright for you. Don't you want that? Don't you want to burn bright and point people towards Christ? Would you come and help me with that? Aren't we too often just too busy to wait for that, to ask him that? And I can't sit here and wait on him. I've got too much stuff going on. There are a lot of marriages right in this world that Jesus is not working in. But in all fairness, he's also not invited in to that marriage. He's not welcomed him in that. Have we honestly welcomed him into our homes? Sometimes we just don't want him in our homes because that would mean we'd have to do some changes to it. Right? We couldn't do what we wanted to do. And some of us just reserve Jesus for Sundays. We're, we're people that call ourselves Christians. We're called by his name, but do we welcome him into our lives? Do we truly welcome him and wait for him to come in and be a part of our lives? And all that means. Do we orbit around the sun? the S-O-N, right? Or do we do we expect the sun to orbit around us? All too often, I think it's the other way. Dare we say what Joshua said, right? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I would imagine that every one of us in here would say we agree with that and we say that. But do we live that? 
honestly live that. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Are we, re- are we willing to revolve our houses and our lives around him? Far too many of us are just doing our own thing, and we're asking Jesus to come in and be a part of that instead of revolving our lives, our homes, everything around him. And we've got it totally backwards. And that's why we look at people when we say, man, I wish God was working in my life like he's working in so-and-so's life. Invite him in. I dare you to ask yourself, who orbits who? Do you orbit him or does he orbit you? I dare you to ask you, who does my life orbit around? Is it myself and what I want, or is it him? That would be a great dinner question, right? If you eat dinners on Sunday night with your families, with your spouse, that would be a great question to ask your spouse. That would be a great question just to ask yourself. Or maybe you eat with somebody else, that would just be a great question to do, to do it. Probably should write that down so you don't forget it, right? Whose life do you orbit? Who orbits who? He was invited to this wedding, and he came, and I think it's that simple, but at the same time, it's, it's that profound as well. He's looking for somebody that wants to have a conversation with him, and not just somebody who rushes through a prayer list. Uh, I prayed for this, prayed for this, prayed for this, and now I'm done, right? Maybe just somebody to have a, a quiet time listening to him. Maybe somebody who, whose prayer time is filled with a lot of silence, just listening. I think he's hoping for that wanting to hear from us. Here's another thing I noticed. It's actually amazing how much ministry happens when Jesus is eating and drinking. It's cool. When you think about it, isn't that what his enemies complained him about him, right? Luke 7:34, the son of man has come eating and drinking. And you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. <laughs> Jesus spent so much of his precious three and a half years of ministry on this earth at the table, eating and drinking, doing ministry. Eating and drinking apparently with the type of people that other people thought were not worthy of his time or that he shouldn't have ate with, right? The type of people that shocked the religious leaders. Let me point out, Jesus never got drunk. The Bible is 100% clear in warning about getting drunk, right? Jesus wasn't partying here. This isn't an excuse to go partying, but he was seeking to save the lost. He was going after them, and he was all about sharing a meal with them and being friends with the type of people that others say are sinners. He was always the type of person that spoke truth with grace. Do you know that your kitchen or dining room table is a weapon of evangelism? right? It is a weapon of evangelism. Olive Garden can be a weapon of evangelism if you invite somebody out to eat there, right? Do you know that your couch is meant to show somebody heaven, to show people a new kingdom where healing and celebration takes place? There should be hurting people there, people that wouldn't step into this building, right? But they'll come into your home, They'll come into the home of somebody who cares about them. We should be in inviting people over 
to our houses and to eat and to sit and dine with. There should be joy at the table, right? And we should be inviting Jesus Christ to that table as well. Amen? Number four, he was solving a problem on this day. People bring problems to him and he solves them. He works in them and brings all things together for our good and for his glory. The solution doesn't always look like how we'd like it to look, right? But he solves our problems for his good, for our good, and for his glory. I've been praying for something for years, and the answer is either no or not yet. I'm not sure what it is, right? But I'll trust him with that. Not what I want to hear, but I'll trust him. This particular problem that we read about was huge for this day and age. In our culture, a wedding is important, right? But in this culture, it was significantly more important. Today, a wedding is a four-hour event. Do you know how long a wedding lasted for Hebrews, for the Jewish people? A week. A week, right? They turned up, all the way up. How bad would it be to run out of wine at some point during that feast? When Adavi and I got married, the photographer locked herself out of her shop, and so she couldn't get her camera and stuff for a little bit later. And so we were supposed to take a bunch of pictures before the wedding, and she, she made it on time to the wedding, luckily, but we missed out on that opportunity. So after the wedding was over, we had to take a lot of those pictures that we were planning to have done. That pushed back the time that we were going to make it to the reception. And of course, it just happened to be an unusually warm day that day. And so by the time we got there late, uh, all the punch was gone. All the drinks were gone, right? Not a big deal. But to run out in this day and age would have been a huge deal. In this day, wedding guests could actually sue the people throwing the party if they ran out of food or drink. This day, um, they could have been fined for it. Worst of all, though, would have been the public humiliation. This is, this is probably a small small town. It is a small town, a small wedding. Probably everyone from the town, though, would have been there and invited to it. So can you imagine everybody in your town, could you imagine you being socially embarrassed, mortified, because everybody has experienced this? But here Jesus is solving a problem, preventing the humiliation. He, he cares enough about the little things in life to be involved in them. Isn't that incredible? Teens, right? He cares about the little things and what you're dealing with. Invite him into your life. Invite him into your problems. He's still solving them. We even get a template of how it works, and, it's, and I love it because it's two steps, right? Easy for me to remember. It's simple. Okay, you're faced with a crisis. What do you do? Step one, you bring the problem to Jesus. Easy to remember, right? Step two, no matter what he says to us, and this is the hard part, we do it. Two steps. Bring the problem to Jesus. No matter what he says, we do it. We resist the the tendency to say, oh, that won't work. I don't see how that could help, right? That's crazy, or I don't want to do that. That's our usual response. We resist those tendencies, and we do exactly what he tells us to do. Simple, but not always easy. Those of you who know me know my testimony. When I was driving down a 
a road, a back road on the way to Ashland, and I ended up slamming into the rear of an Amish buggy. And after I finally got stopped, I, I look back and I see this kid, one of, the, one of the young men, this boy, laying on the ground and to, going into convulsions. The other two were chasing after the horses, right? And so I got out and I ran back to him and I immediately just start, started to pray for him. And somebody came out and I asked him to call 911 and it felt like forever before the people actually, the ambulance actually got there and took him away. But I remember after they took him away and the, the police officers were still processing the, the scene, right? And I'm sitting in my car and I'm numb, right? I'm, I'm scared. I'm worried about this young man. And I remember this voice coming into my head, into my spirit, and it said, praise me. And I'm like, that is the most horrible thing I could do. Why in the world would I praise you, Right? in this situation, and I dismissed it because there's no way I would, I would want to praise God, right, for possibly killing this young man. And, and so I went home, and I asked my mom to start praying, and it was put on the prayer chain, and maybe some of you prayed for me in that endeavor. And, and uh, I remember just spending the rest of that day in prayer. And at night, that voice came into my head again, and it said, praise me, even in this. And I said, Lord, that seems like the, the worst thing I could do, a thing I shouldn't do. I, I don't understand why you're asking me to do that, right? This, this kid I'd learned had been lifelighted to a larger hospital. And I remember coming to the place, though, where I said, because you said it, I'll do it. And I, I began to praise him, and I began to think, man, I'll praise you even if it means jail, right? And I didn't know what, what the consequences could be if this, this young man died, you know, and I still don't even know. But I remember thinking that no matter what happens from here out, I will, I will praise you. And I remember this peace coming over me in that moment. And I, and I cannot describe that peace to you, but it was startling, right? It was startling, and I was able to get some sleep. And I, I woke up the next day and I began to pray again. And I began to praise him again. And I, I called the hospital and I, I, I found out where he was. And, and uh, I said, hey, can you tell me anything about this kid? And the nurse said, I'm sorry. You know, she asked if I was family or, or a relative. And I said, no. And she said, I'm sorry, I can't give you any of that information. And I said, would you please do that because I'm the guy who hit him. And I remember telling her that, I remember her telling me, well, yeah. And she told me that that last night he took a, a turn and he was miraculously healed and the doctors don't, aren't sure what happened and what went on and we're actually getting ready to release him today. Amen? Yeah. Do what he says. Do what he says. Invite God into the situation and do whatever he says, no matter how crazy it seems. Read his word, right? And when you come to that hard part and you're like, man, I don't think that's right or I don't think I should do that, do what he says in here. If you're still not sure, go ask a seasoned Christian, a mature Christian for some advice, right? If you're new to this, go ask somebody for some help. But do what he says, no matter what. 
Servants did what Jesus said. You ever think about this, verse 7? Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take them to the masters of the feast. So they took it. <laughs> Jesus says, go bring it to the master of the feast. You ever, you ever wonder if the servants were like, this isn't going to be good, right? We're taking bathtub water water that you're supposed to wash your hands in these pots, right? And we're going to go take it to them. It didn't say he changed the water to the wine, right? They didn't know that, but they did it. They did exactly what he says. When Jesus tells you to do something, do it. Maybe as you're sitting around the dinner table asking that first question today, you can ask your spouse or you can ask yourself, hey, what's the last thing that Jesus told you to do that remains undone? What does he ask you to do that remains undone? Maybe he's asked you to forgive somebody, right? Maybe he's asked you to witness to somebody. Maybe he's asked you to start doing something or stop doing something. What's the last thing that you were reading in the Bible and you felt convicted of or that God revealed to you and remains undone? Will you, will you ask that tonight? Or maybe as you go out of here, I think it might be a great conversation. Fifth thing, I love verse 9. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Can I just start, stop right there? Notice the, the master of the feast did not know where the wine came from, right? But look who did, the servants. The servants knew What do servants know? The servants know what no one else knows, that it all comes from Jesus, right? That's where it came from. Jesus said the Son of Man did not come to be served, right, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. What do those in the church know? What do those who serve in the church know that other people never will? It comes from Jesus. What comes from Jesus? It all comes from Jesus, right? The wine, the good wine, the meaning of life, my purpose, my eternal purpose, my eternal calling comes from Jesus. Have have you ever gotten discouraged serving God, right? If you've served God, you've, I'm sure, gotten discouraged. Lord, why isn't anyone helping me? You ever start down that road, start grumbling? I have. I've threw some chairs in here, I'll be honest with you right? When I'm the only one setting up chairs or something, used to do that back in the day. Now Brian gets to do that. Thank you, Brian. Love you, brother. (laughs) Feeling sorry for yourself? Getting mad at people? That will take you to a, a bad place real fast. If that's you, can you just be reminded, you're the one who gets to see when no one else gets to see, right? You're the one who gets to see what Jesus is doing. You're the one who gets to see Jesus change water into wine. What amazing privilege. And on top of that, you get to be a part of it, right? You get to be an agent, a part of what Christ is doing, taking that water turned into wine and giving it to somebody else, somebody who doesn't have a clue where it comes from and who did it. What an amazing honor. Praise God. You get that privilege to see what others 
don't see. The disciples saw this. Verse 11 said this, the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. That's what they witnessed and they believed. They got to see his glory and it helped them believe in him. Don't regret that you're the only one serving him. Be grateful you get to see his glory. Amen? You might be the only one again doing this or being a part of that, but it's a part of what he's doing. And it's an amazing privilege. Can I, can I give you another glimpse of what you get to be a part of if you're the servant? The Bible opens with a wedding. We talked about that last week, right? His, his ministry on earth here starts with a wedding, and the Bible closes with a wedding in Revelation. The new Jerusalem coming down from heaven, adorned as a bride for her groom, and we're told what that wedding feast, what that wedding will look like in Isaiah 25, 6. It says, On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all the peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations, He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away every tears from all their faces. And the reproach reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. Do you see it? The wedding was lost. The feast was lost. It was covered up, right? There was supposed to be this feast that lasted forever, but it was lost. Why? Because sin entered the world, and immediately mankind is plunged into sorrow. But at the end, we're told it's going to be restored. The wedding feast will continue. Here's where we find our purpose. Matthew 22, verse 2, the kingdom of heaven is like one who arranged a feast for his son. And then he said to you and to me, go out into the highways And as many as you can find, invite them to the wedding. There's your purpose. There's my purpose. Invite people to the wedding feast. Invite people to know who this Jesus Christ is. Next week we'll do part two in the series. There's a lot of empty seats here today, right? Who can you invite to it? Who can you invite to hear another miracle that Christ does? Invite someone to a meal at your house, right? Invite them to after church to go out and share a meal. Be a friend to the tax collector and sinners. Who are they in our society? I have no idea. It's the people that everybody looks down on. Whoever that is, invite them into your homes. Invite them into your dinner table, rich and poor, right? That's a part of our purpose. Everybody needs Jesus. And we are all his sons and daughters, and we are to invite as money as will come. Amen? Please stand with me. One last question. Did you notice in verse 1 when the wedding at Cana happened? 
on the third day. On the third day, right? On another third day, three years later, three and a half years later from this point, right? Our lives will be forever changed. Mankind's lives will be forever changed. It's the day that we found hope. It's the day where Jesus Christ rose from the grave. Man, let's live in response to that. Let's invite people into that knowledge. Sin and death was conquered, right? Grace abounds now. It's available. Let's share that good news to anyone that we can with. That's where we got our calling, to be his ambassadors, right? To share that. Let's do that. Let's let's invite people to know Christ. Father, we just thank you for today. We thank you for this sign and what it means. Lord, I pray that you would let it sink deep down into our hearts. Lord, examine us. Show us where we're lacking. Show us what needs to change in order to truly serve you. Father, I pray if there's people in here that are discouraged from serving, would you remind of what an amazing privilege that is? What an amazing honor it is. Father, would we look for the ways that you're calling us to serve and be a part of that and not say no, right? Would you help us to rearrange our lives so that we can serve in whatever area that you're calling us to do that? Father, give us opportunities to invite somebody to the dinner table, somebody out to lunch, somebody out to breakfast today or any other day this week, Lord, or in these coming months. Father, help us to invite the people that normally don't get invited into our lives and and let them hear about a Savior who loves them, who died for them, who wants to have a relationship with them. Father, give us that opportunity. Lord, Lord, we love you, and we give you all praise. In your name we pray. Amen.